conflict here as well. A lot of times this passage is specifically highlighted for being the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? We often uh, teach this to our children right from the early age that you need to have the fruit of the Spirit, right? We need to, you need to be patient with your brothers and sisters. You need to love them and, and be joyful uh, little people in our house. You know, that is how we often talk about this passage. It's one of the first ones that we talk about. And it's worthy of that. It's worthy of instructing our children that right off. But a lot of times, I think the other aspects of this passage kind of get missed because the fruit of the Spirit is held um, so highly and it's so popular. So the other verses that kind of come before and after often get overshadowed. But in this passage, we're going to see that the conflict. The conflict of every Christian. And that's the title of this morning's sermon. The conflict of every Christian. So again, whether you've been a Christian for 30 years, whether you've been a Christian for three weeks, there is a conflict that's going on within you right now. But but what is that conflict, and why is it there? And for that, we have to remember what happened at the very beginning of the Bible, where we see Adam and Eve in the garden, in a relationship with God. God had made them, He created man and woman perfect. They were untainted by sin. They had this beautiful relationship with Him. They were in covenant with Him as humans toward their Creator. And everything was good. But as a result of the fall, everything became bad. Adam and Eve, they radically disobeyed God. A lot of times we like to think, oh, well, they just did something kind of simple. They just did something menial, right? They bit the apple or they bit the fruit or whatever the case. But it was radical rebellion against God. They broke their relationship with God. And so as a result of this, we've all been born into sin. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve, they're created perfect. And then they have two sons named Cain and Abel, right? And one of their sons kills the other son. So you go from perfect parents, and then they sin, they rebel against God, and then all of a sudden, one of the the brothers murders the other brother. One of the most heinous sins. Is that incredible? How fast the sin had banged. They were born in sin. And this is the way all of us have been born. None of us are born perfect. Or none of us are born in a neutral state. All of us are born sinners. All of us are born wanting to gratify the desires of the flesh. And that's the bad news. But there's good news. The good news is that many of those who are here have accepted Christ And as a result of accepting Christ, you've been made new, haven't you? Those of you who think about your former life before Christ, and you think about your life now, you think, Christ has made me a new person. Literally, as the Word says, He's made me a new creation. And so many of us, that's the good news, that we have accepted Christ, thus giving us the opportunity, through the power of the Gospel, to be able to do what this passage says, and that's to walk by the Spirit. So that's the good news. So the bad news is that we are all born wanting to gratify the desires of their flesh. I have a 17-month-old that can show you that. She was born wanting to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so as parents, we constantly try to weed that out. But there's good news that if she trusts Christ, then she can begin, by the power of the gospel, to kill that old man, to kill that old nature. So within you right now, you have this old sinful man fighting with your new man. 
But your old sinful man has been dealt with by Christ on the cross. When Christ died on the cross and he took your sin upon him and he was buried and he rose again, he effectively broke the dominion of sin over you. So that's more good news, that, that there has been a mortal blow thrust upon the old man. So he's bleeding out. He cannot rule or have dominion over you anymore. But there will be times where that old man will creep up on you. He looks pretty dead. He looks like he's bleeding out. But he could trip you up. He could come after you again. So although that old man is dying and your new man is getting stronger, what happens is a lot of times we get a little negligent. We kind of get a little lazy. We get a little careless. And that old man can creep up on us yet again. And that's what we're going to look at today. The conflict that's going on within every Christian. And we're going to do this by dividing our passage basically into two points. In verses 16 to 21, we're going to see that true believers will not gratify the flesh. And then from verse 22 to 26, we'll see that true believers will live by the Spirit. But note too that the opposite is true. Whereas believers will not gratify their flesh, unbelievers will gratify their flesh. And whereas believers will walk by the Spirit, unbelievers will not and cannot walk by the Spirit. So what's the difference? Why is there such a radical difference between a Christian and a person who is not a Christian? The difference between a believer and a person who is an unbeliever. What is the difference? What's the fundamental bedrock difference between those two people? And that is justification. What we talked about probably about five or six sermons ago The difference is justification. If you have not been justified, you will not, because you cannot, live by the Spirit. You will live gratifying your flesh. But remember what justification is. Justification is that God had made us just in His eyes, as a result of the work of Jesus on our behalf. So our justification means that Jesus has taken All of my bad, he's taken all of my sin upon him on the cross, and he dealt with it on the cross, but then in turn, he he gave me his righteousness. So all of my sin was imputed to Jesus, and then all of his righteousness was given to me. So when I stand before God one day, I will not boast in my own works that I did while I was on this planet. I will boast in the works of Christ that he did while he was on this planet. So living by the Spirit can only come if we have been justified, if we have been made just or righteous in the eyes of God. And as a result of this justification, we are now in the process of sanctification. Another big word that basically refers to the process by which the Spirit is making us more like Jesus. So living and walking by the Spirit that this passage talks about is referencing that sanctification process that as we walk through life, we're constantly being sanctified. We're constantly being made more and more like Jesus. A, A good way to remember this, and you may have heard this statement, is that a Christian isn't sinless, but he sins less and less and less. So that's the idea of sanctification. That we're not we're not sinless, we're never going to be perfect until we get those new bodies that we're all aching for. But until then, we're in the sanctification process by which God is making us more and more like Jesus. So we're, 
we should be consistently becoming more like Christ. But there will be times we fall. Times that we fall into former sinful patterns that, that a lot of us have. We go years and years in sinful patterns and then we trust Christ. But there will be times where that old man creeps up and attacks again and we fall. There will be those times. But look down in verse 16. We're going to see that true believers will not gratify their flesh. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, or for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. <coughs> they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So there's this command right off, this imperative. Walk by the Spirit. So this means to walk in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that our daily lives and the steps that we take, those, the movements that we make through our daily lives, they should be in step with the Spirit of God. We should be in sync with the Spirit. And the word here for walk, so it says walk by the Spirit. But there's this present tense, right? If you're walking, you're presently doing it, you're consistently walking. So it's in the present tense. You will walk one of two ways. You will either walk by the Spirit... Or you'll walk according to your flesh. There's no neutral ground here. So there's this consistent need in our lives to walk by the Spirit. But there's an incredible benefit to walking by the Spirit that Paul also notes in verse 16. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify or please or indulge the desires of the flesh. So if you're looking for a secret weapon, if you're looking for the secret sauce to overcoming your sin. It's to walk by the Spirit. There's no doubt that there are some in this room who have had times in which you feel, even though you're a believer, you feel as though you're still in bondage to sin. That you're in bondage to indulge yourself. And there are likely some here today who are struggling with consistent patterns of sin. And if you are tired of gratifying the flesh, then here it is. Here's the solution. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh. So unless you think God's word is lying, which of course it's not, you will overcome the flesh by walking by the Spirit. If it says that you're going to be released from the bondage of self-indulgence and sin, you walk by the Spirit. It'll be so. If the Spirit resides within you, then He will change you as you walk in the way He wants you to. And that's because you cannot consistently walk by the Spirit at the same time as indulging in your flesh. It cannot happen. You cannot say, I'm living by the Spirit. I'm walking by the Spirit. But also I get to sin and do the things that my flesh wants to do. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And this is why in verse 17, this is why you can't have both. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So there's this opposition between the flesh and the Spirit. They're at war, constant war. They're always battling each other. There's a conflict. And that's because the Spirit and the flesh, they're opposed. It's like you ever get two magnets and you put the same poles together and they just you, you, you can't get them. That, that's exactly what this is. You, you cannot get these two together because they're naturally opposed to each other. So it's the same with the Spirit and the flesh. 
There's a constant opposition between these two. They can't be blended. And the result of these two forces colliding is that you are not able to do whatever you want to do. And this is what Paul means by by saying that. He's saying that the spirit and the flesh are battling. And by walking by the spirit, you will not do what your flesh wants you to do. So he's basically reiterating what he says in verse 16. That if you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not do what your flesh wants you to do. But isn't that good news? Unless you want to walk by your flesh, unless you want to gratify your flesh, then this is great news. The word for flesh here has come to represent, as one commentator wrote, that all that man is and all that he is capable of, apart from the intervention of God's grace in his life. So when he uses the word flesh, he's not specifically just referring to this stuff right here. He's referring to all that you are apart from God's intervention in your life. So your actions in in the flesh are what you're doing when you're not walking by the Spirit. So when you're walking by the Spirit, you're pleasing God. But when you're gratifying your flesh, you're pleasing yourself. And although the world tells us differently, this, this is no way to live. There's no way to live, to live a life pleasing yourself. It doesn't take much to turn on the TV, watch a movie, pick up a magazine, a book, and see that there's people all over the world living to gratify themselves and preaching a message saying, everybody do it. Everybody just do what you want to do. You can stand here for a long time, and I know many of you could, and you can think of people from our past that maybe went to the same churches that we did, or the same <coughs> Christian schools like, like I went to, or same even colleges, or, or whatever, and people that were involved greatly in college ministry groups, or small group studies, or whatever the case is. We can all think of people that at one time seemed to be walking by the flesh, but they, they fell away in order to please their own desires. And this is because they know that to walk by the Spirit means to gratify the or means to not be able to gratify the desires of the flesh. People who refuse to walk by the Spirit, they do this because their desires are what's important to them. Hold your finger in Galatians and turn over to Matthew 16. Christ has words for those who would be followers of Him. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So a relationship with Jesus means self-denial. It means to not gratify your flesh. It means to pick up your cross and to follow after Jesus by the Spirit. People who know the truth about Christ and what it means to follow Him and refuse it, or those who don't know Christ at all, both need to realize that a relationship with Christ 
means that you cannot live by the Spirit and gratify your flesh at the same time. It's one or the other. You can go back to Galatians now. But you follow Christ. To follow Christ, you must deny yourselves. You must refuse to gratify the desires of your flesh. To follow Christ, you must lose your life for His sake. A life of walking by the Spirit after Christ is a life refusing to gratify the old sinful nature. To gratify your flesh. Look at what Paul says again in Galatians 5 and verse 19. What it looks like to live according to the flesh. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. So all of these are related to a sexual sin, sexual desires or thoughts or actions outside of the marriage relationship between a husband and wife. Verse 20 idolatry and witchcraft, so serving idols and performing witchcraft are attempts to seek after some sort of spiritual realm outside of becoming one of God's children and walking by the Spirit. Continue on. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. So these are all sins that are against one another, ways that we can sinfully hurt one another, we can hate each other and we can sow discord In this church, we can be jealous and be angry and have selfish ambition, so on. And then verse 21, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So sins related typically to the abuse of alcohol. And this is what it looks like to follow after the flesh. But this is not a comprehensive list. Paul says, and the like. So in other words, all of these sins, etc., etc., Sins like these are what it looks like to follow after the flesh. And the repercussions of living according to the flesh is what he says in verse 21 with a warning. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is a stark warning. Anybody who lives according to the flesh will not inherit The kingdom of God. Referring to that coming stage of the kingdom. So we're currently already in the kingdom. Christ is ruling and reigning. He is seated next to his father right now. But this is referring to the coming stage of the kingdom. So those who live lives of self-gratification will not inherit that coming stage of the kingdom of God. Only those who live by the spirit and life will enter into the coming phase of the kingdom. But there is good news about a list like this. Many of us can look at this list, I'm sure, and think I'm guilty of that one, and that one, and that one. But as Christians, we can look to Christ, who became the guilty on our behalf. So we maybe think, yeah, I struggle with this, this, and this, even on that list of horrible sins. But Christ became that for me. He took all of my bad on the cross. He took my jealousy and my hatred and my strife and my drunkenness and all the rest and He nailed it to the cross when He was nailed there. So if you're feeling the weight of your flesh this morning and it was a bad week and it was, or it was a bad month, repent of that error and seek to walk again by the Spirit. These Galatians had fallen out of step with the Spirit of God. They weren't walking according to the Spirit. But Paul is calling them back to walk by the Spirit. And so that same hope is available to us. That although we may think, man, I struggle with several of those that are on that list. Paul is still calling us back to walk by the Spirit. 
to repent and turn from your sin and get back in sync with Him. That is the way to stop gratifying those desires of the flesh. Some of you may not be walking by the Spirit because you don't have the Spirit. It might be as simple as that. Know that you're a Christian, you know that you have the Spirit, and you know that you trust Christ, and you know that your sin was taken upon Him, you know your eternal destination, all rest and depends on what He has done, and you might struggle with that, as far as the Spirit, and walking by Him, and gratifying your flesh, and you feel that conflict, and you should. But there might be those who, it's just very simple. You don't walk by the Spirit, because you don't have the Spirit. To repent, right? Simple. Repent of your self-gratification, your self-indulgence and following after Satan and trust in Christ. He'll cause you to walk by the Spirit so that you can please Him instead of pleasing yourself. But after this list, after this list of ways that we can gratify ourselves, he turns to that well-known list of the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, forbearance, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. So the fruit of the Spirit that's listed here, are those things that come forth in the life of a believer who is walking by the Spirit. So the Spirit does His work of, of planting and growing that seed of the Gospel in your life. And He causes you to walk by the Spirit as a result of growing the Gospel in your life. And He sanctifies you. This fruit, it, it begins to be produced in your life. And this is very clear here and also in other passages as well, where Paul refers to our growth as spiritual fruit. And so we should all strive with God's help to see that this spiritual fruit is growing in our lives. But instead of emphasizing the personal aspect of this in our daily lives, which it certainly is that, we certainly, we certainly should strive to see this fruit grow in our lives. I want to emphasize the, the community aspect of this. In other words, is the fruit of the Spirit growing here in our church? What would it be like if our church were known for the fruit of the Spirit? How could we be used in this community if we were known as a church that loved? What kind of faith family would we be if we loved those who came into our building and those who lived in our communities? What if we were known as a joyful people? Not a church that has a plastic, happy-go-lucky outlook on everything, but a joy that's deeply rooted in the gospel. A joy that comes out of the gospel springing out of our hearts. What if we were known as a peaceful people? A church that refused to be cantankerous with each other. A church that pursued peace, What if we were patient with each other? What if we were kind and good to each other and we refused to let each other lack anything and we were faithful to do the things that we said we're going to do and we were gentle with one another and we had self-control? What kind of church would that be? That had that within its 
within its membership that had that in the community that we lived in? What kind of faith family would that be? That would be the kind of faith family that, that visitors would come in and feel incredibly welcomed. Where the unsaved could come and learn the gospel in a non-judgmental atmosphere with people who are patient and understanding. It would be an atmosphere where Christians that have been burned in the past could come and be healed. What kind of church would that be? A church that refused to gratify the desires of the flesh. A church that had people who, like it says in verse 26, refused to become conceited and provocative to each other. Or envious. Brothers and sisters, who's with me? Who wants this kind of church? By God's grace, we can begin taking steps toward this kind of church, a church that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. But for many of you, if you're anything like me, you can see yourself identifying with both of these lists. Gratify the desires of the flesh, but you also feel as though God is growing you. And you're seeing the fruit of the Spirit be born. You feel that conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. You may say, I do struggle with jealousy or impurity or selfish ambition. But I also seek after peace and for genuine joy and patience and all the rest. But this is the conflict. Paul's point though, is that as you continue to walk by the Spirit. And you become closer to Christ. That you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Let's strive toward that end in our personal lives and together as a church. Let's pray.